I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. Well, welcome back to Design to Heal. I am your average Jeff here with Dr. Ben Rawl. And Ben, like so many times, we have a great guest that you're excited about on the phone today. And so why don't you tell us what we got going on and we'll introduce him and get to it. Yeah, I'm going to call I'm going to call him a hero. Um, he's a, he's just one of those very special people. Dr. Scott Jensen, many of you know him. I had the opportunity to actually hear him speak. He was at one of our conferences a couple of months ago up in Minnesota. Um, I'm partial. I went to a chiropractic school in Minnesota. Um, I have a lot of friends and family up there. And of course, Dr. Scott was in the news over the COVID years because of his um, uh, almost reluctant <laughs> reluctancy. He never thought of himself in the spotlight, um, but he ended up there just for doing the right thing. And mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of people uh, meet us. So I'm actually holding his book in my hand. Uh, mm -hmm. We've been played, exposing the triad of tyranny. Uh, Dr. Scott's a strong man of faith. Matter of fact, part of his presentation that really touched my heart was just his thoroughness of walking through the scriptures as it relates to the times that we are in. And uh, but he's just a humble, humble guy. You know, he was passed in the past. He was the family physician of the year. He's been in the state legislator forever. I mean, he's like one of those like unbelievable people. Mm. And then you watch, you know, the wrath of hell come after him mm. for doing the mm. right thing. Mm. And you just go, man, it, to me, those moments expose how messed up this system is. Yeah. And so it mm -hmm. is an absolute honor to have mm -hmm. Dr. Scott Jensen on with us today. Dr. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ben. Uh, you're very kind. Well, I think it's all true. Um, and I know even more than that. So will you, will you do us the favor just tell us a little bit about your journey, a little bit about your background, and then, you know, how the heck uh, we ended up, you know, becoming friends because I wish COVID would never happen, but here we sit. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, I'm going to start at the end rather than the beginning. Sure. And I'm going to just say this, that when I met you, Dr. Ben, yeah. I was struck by the fact that, albeit slower than we may want, I think... America is waking up. And I think mm. America is waking up in part because you refuse to not have your voice heard in the public square. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Sure. I think that also to give a conclusion before the beginning of the story, I would say that I'm an optimist. Mm. Sometimes I consider myself a naive optimist. And I think that one of the things people learned through the COVID pandemic is that the medical profession is a mixed bag and that conventional Western medicine isn't always there when you need it. And I believe that chiropractors, naturopaths, acupuncturists, homeopaths, yeah. so many public servants have stepped up and given patients hope when hospitals and physicians weren't. Many patients felt abandoned. They felt like they couldn't have the hard conversations in the office mm. that they had been seeing a doctor for decades. That's to me why you and I are having this conversation today. Yeah. Because when you look at what's gone on in the last three and a half years and you look at where we're at today, I do think that people lost hope. 
And I think now there's a resurgence of hope. And I'd be glad to tell my story and go yeah. back to the beginning, which really was March of 2020. In January, we just heard just a few little inklings that there was something going on in China, in Wuhan. There was several cases of atypical pneumonia following a viral syndrome. Nobody knew quite what to think. Toward the end of January, it was starting to get more traction. February, it came to the real presence of America. In March, the first lockdown in Minnesota. And it was in March during that first lockdown that I remember I was sitting in the Senate. I was a vice chair of the Health and Human Services Committee, and I was in the Minnesota Senate. And I remember watching some of the policies put out by the governor. And it was clear that it wasn't a policy directed by science, because if it had been by science, it would have been, here's the policy, here's what we're going to do. But the policy flip-flopped. And I remember specifically, it flip-flopped for the the industry of landscapers. At first, landscapers were okay. Then they weren't. <laughs> then they were. They went from being essential to non-essential to essential, from safe to non-safe to safe. And you could tell it was a negotiation. And I thought, well, this is crazy. We're dealing with people's livelihoods. Yeah. And then we had the first lockdown. I participated in the Senate with both a Republican and a Democrat senator to put a commentary in the major newspaper in Minnesota saying, I think we can back off some of these arbitrary, capricious, draconian lockdown policies. We're locking down too much. We don't need to be. We understand it's uncharted water. We've not been here before. Everybody wanted to save grandma's life. Everybody recognized, sure. okay, flatten the curve. Don't overwhelm the healthcare facilities. Those those goals both made sense. But right away, we could see that something was just not passing the smell test. Mm -hmm. And then in early April, I got an email from the Minnesota Department of Health, and it came through the CDC and the National Center for Health Statistics, and it had to do with how physicians do death certificates. And I remember reading it, and I remember my heart sinking because it said, something to this effect, COVID-19 should be reported on the death certificate where the disease is caused or is assumed to have caused or contributed to death. And I thought, well, that's not right. Mm -hmm. My obligation in completing a death certificate for 30 some years has always been identify the initiating event in that pathway of demise for a patient. In other words, if a person is on hospice, dying of stage four colon cancer, that would be the initiating event that put that that patient yeah. on the path to dying. It wouldn't be, if you will, if that person was dying of stage four colon cancer on hospice, had only a day or two left of life, and then got influenza yeah. and passed. It wouldn't be influenza, it would be colon cancer and on the death certificate, you could say that the immediate cause of death, or you could say a contributing piece would be influenza, but the cause of death would be colon yes, cancer. Yes. And in this report from the Department of Health, they basically were saying, if COVID contributed, put it down as a death certificate. And then it went on and said, but if other chronic conditions contributed like asthma or COPD, don't put those down on the death certificate as the cause. Go ahead and put those in part two where you can list contributing conditions, but they don't necessarily play a part in the death of the patient. And I remember reading that and thinking, 
oh, this is so wrong. Yeah. And I spoke up as a senator expecting some kind of response. I didn't get any response from the Department of Health. I didn't get any response from the CDC. I got crickets. And then two months later, for the first time in my career, my license was being investigated. All of a sudden, it was a real possibility that I might not be able to take care of my patients because clearly I had antagonized someone because of my political narrative. But what was even more compelling was that investigation and then the next five investigations totaling a total of 18 allegations. Not one of them came from someone who ever received a healthcare service from me. It was always to do with the fact that I was speaking from a, a narrative that was, if you will, against the mainstream media. And it was a narrative that someone didn't like. And they didn't like the fact that I was in the Senate saying it. And then I subsequently ran to be governor of Minnesota. And I had more to say on COVID policies. And it literally just went from there. I became the most attacked, investigated physician in the state of Minnesota, despite the fact that for decades I'd been a reasonably highly regarded professor, adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School. I'd been physician of the year in the state of Minnesota for the family practice uh, organization. I've had a wonderful career, but all of a sudden I was at risk of not being able to take care of patients. Doc, when you, so it's an unbelievable, and I think it, what, what always struck me about your story, I mean, you just, exactly, I mean, I think people listening to you can just feel your genuineness and your authenticness, and you practice in a relatively smaller area, I mean, you just, it kind of a, remind me of just the, the family doc, right, and just want to do the right thing for the right reasons, the right way, and, and always had been able to do that, relatively speaking, and uh, even serving in the, in the you know, the branches that you serve, so when this happened, I mean, I don't know if this is how you said it, but I mean, the last thing you ever thought you would be is in the midst of, you know, that, I mean, your license being, you know, gone after, you know, and it's really important, I think, because people that don't understand that, I mean, I have my licensing bodies too. I mean, that's one of those things that's are always kind of in the back of our minds as, as doctors is we just want to, we have to take care of our patients and we have to do it, of course, the right way. But there's this always like you just know you're one complaint away from just really messing up your life. I mean, going to deal with allegations is a significant pain financially, legally, all of those things. Now, there is a good news on yours. Is that right, Doc, on your most of those? Been- there is. I mean, the conclusion was in March of this year, the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice completely exonerated me, dismissed all the allegations, all the investigations, said uh, there was no impact on me at all. And we were done. And then uh, two weeks later, my attorney and I made the challenging decision that we needed to stand up for everyday Minnesotans, everyday Americans and say, okay, listen, this has got to stop. So we decided to file a lawsuit against the attorney general, as well as the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice. And the lawsuits involve infringement on my First Amendment rights, uh, the lack of distinction by the Board of Medical Practice in regards to their jurisdiction falls in that area of professional conduct as it relates to the practice of medicine, not in the realm of free speech in the public square, particularly by someone who's an elected official. And so we filed lawsuits and we uh, had a couple of court dates. Of course, uh, the the defendants are trying to get the cases dismissed and we're fighting against that because we want full discovery so that we can demonstrate to people just what happened because we've already learned through some of the uh, information that we were able to get through filing data practices act requesting information that has to do with me we've already learned that 
the first complaint against me that prompted an investigation, the only thing necessary for that to take place was a screenshot of a tweet and a there was there were two things, a screenshot of a tweet, and then the other thing was a copy of a political mm. press release. And it was uh, the other party that I was it was a DFL press release ridiculing me. Those two things prompted a full-on investigation that took me hours and hours and hours, and I submitted 75 pages in my defense, and that one was reversed, dismissed within a couple of months, but then they just kept coming and kept coming, and people have asked me, what did that feel like? Yeah. What felt like I was being harpooned? I mean, I've just, I've always thought of my life as sort of a blend between Jimmy Stewart in the movie, It's a Wonderful (laughs) Life, and Marcus Welby. And all of a sudden, I was, I mean, my wife and I, we would look at each other at midnight. As Mary said, Scott, you got to get to bed and get some sleep. And I said, I've got to work on this response. And I mean, we wept tears. Uh, We knew that it was grossly unfair, but it seemed like we were having this David and Goliath Mm. battle. And the thing that got us through it, Dr. Ben, was... We were struck by the verse early on from Esther 4.14, when Mordecai issued the challenge to Esther, have you considered that you're in the position you're in for such a time as this? And so I I did some extensive studying of the Bible, just going through it, and I came up with, it was ironic, and the way it spoke to me, it was chapter 4, verse 14, in five different books of the Bible that really crafted my story. And the the first one would be Exodus 4.14, where it was God's anger smoldered. And God's anger was smoldering because Moses was turning down the job God wanted Moses to do. Mm. And then you jump to Esther 4.14, and Esther doesn't want to put her life at danger or her reputation at risk. Mm. And yet Mordecai challenges her for such a time as this. And then you go to the book of John in the New Testament, where in 4.14, Uh, Jesus is having this conversation with the woman at the well. And he says, well, he who drinks of the water I give him will never thirst, for the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, providing this woman tremendous hope, Mm -hmm. tremendous strength. And then you go from there uh, to to, uh, Ephesians, where it says we don't need to be like infants being tossed about by the waves and winds of cunning men and deceit. And then you close it out by going to Hebrews, where it says, hold fast to the beliefs you profess. Mm. And when I put those five books together, that was what I had to do. So one one small baby step after another small baby step has, if you will, brought me to the place I'm at today. And I'm humbled by it. I, I'm grateful for the millions of people that yeah. have supported me. But I think what you said earlier, Dr. Ben, is so true. You use the word reluctant in mm-hmm. terms of describing me. And people have said, well, Scott, you're a hero. And I said, well, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm just a family doc in the trenches. And and anything you're seeing from me, I, I have to confess, it. it's coming from sort of a reluctant player. Because mm-hmm. I think I would have rather done the Jonah story where when Jonah <laughs> was asked to do some tough work going to Nineveh, Jonah decided to run to the Mediterranean instead of going, <laughs> and the whale got in the way. Well, I think I would be more like Jonah than I would be uh, any real hero. Doc, will you? So, 
And for, you know, and I really, I was hoping that you would walk through the, those four fourteens Cause I remember you sharing that. I was just kind of sitting with a friend of mine there and we were just mm-hmm. kind of jaws dropping. Just first of all, just was, it really was fascinating that these all happened to be four fourteens, just really amazing. But, but so, you know, you kind of get thrust into this and, and I'm, and again, even most, you are still rare. And that was one of my questions, you know, and you answered it just how your faith kind of saw you through. Cause I think so many people after getting all those, you know, accusations dropped, you know, would just be like, man, I'm just good. I can just kind of rest. I can kind of take a deep breath. And I, I know you wouldn't take even the lawsuit lightly. Matter of fact, I'm sure there was part of you going, I don't really want to do this. I'm just going to keep the, keep the fight going. And even sometimes as people of faith, we don't even love lawsuits. We kind of just, we just don't like that. Right. Yet there's this time, and so you know the fact that you're just staying in the game, staying your in 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 the fight. I, so two things as we kind of wind down here. One would be because I think people need to hear this, and you had access uh, to some data when you and one of your counterparts, I think, in the Senate, um, you guys dove into some of the data about the deaths related to COVID per what you were talking about about the death certificates. Do you mind just briefly telling us about what you found? Because I think, you know, the layperson was like, I don't know, they said they died of COVID, and they don't really believe. Then it got became conspiracy theory that oh, people that had accidents were getting listed as COVID. But you had that actual data. Do you mind giving us a little bit of that? Yes, I sure will. Basically, we did an audit, and it was a representative, Mary Franzen, and myself, uh, with some uh, people that were very talented in uh, statistical data analysis. And we went through literally every death certificate in Minnesota over, I think, a span of time of approximately I believe it might have been 18 months. Okay. And we found that over 20% had a underlying cause of death identified as one that it would not have been the underlying cause of death pre-COVID if we had done things the way we'd done them before. In some of the situations, it was just flagrant. It was some of the situations, it was clear that the patient died of trauma or yeah. aftermath um, impact from the trauma. Car accident or something like that. It was put like down that, yeah. as COVID death. We had literally situations where we were given stories by people in the know where people that were virtually dead on the scene of an accident were being swapped for COVID. Yeah. And we came up with differing numbers, but they were always in that realm of 23 to 30%, sometimes higher. And at the same time we were doing it, we saw other states doing it. And numerous states were recognizing that, yes, the underlying cause of death had been misrepresented. We put that out, I think, in December and January of 2021, I believe. Yeah. And the, the, dates, the dates do much together. But what was interesting was other countries, Italy, came out with data indicating that more than 90% yeah. of their COVID deaths had involved people with at least, I think, four underlying comorbidities, comorbidities yeah. which that would potentially have brought them to the brink of death anyway. And, and why this is I so fascinating to- is, is because people then, those out of that fear, we made policy, right? Out of those half-baked <laughs> numbers... We closed schools and we mandated shots. I mean, this is why it's a problem, not just because, of course, just on the surface, it's ridiculous and it's what you stood up for. But the implications of that manipulation is what's also devastating. I'm I'm sure you agree. Absolutely. The implications would sort of go something like this. In the first couple of months of the pandemic, 
We had political people spewing modeling data that seemed crazy. Yeah. And literally within months, that modeling projections in so many situations were debunked, criticized, and virtually dismissed. But you can see what would happen. If you have models that say, like in Minnesota, that we're going to have a thousand people die per day in the month of July. Mm. And when the month of July comes around, we don't have 10 per day. There's a real problem with the modeling. But (laughs) you can also see where political actors would say, well, you know, I don't want to be wrong. Mm. So we need to try to get this, these numbers up to speed. I was just in London, England last Mm. week for a conference with uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson for yeah, three days good? called the, yeah. yeah, it was very good, the Alliance for Public, uh, for Responsible Citizenship. But at the same time I was there, they're having an inquiry at the uh, British Parliament and they're looking into the leaders during the COVID pandemic. And they talked about uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson when he was there calling the shots. And Boris Johnson uh, was, there were people sharing stories of Boris Johnson making it very clear that the numbers they were giving him didn't justify some of the stuff that was being done. So he wanted more jazzed up data. We had the same thing happen Mm. in Minnesota, in the governor's office. We have an email stream uh, where you could tell that some of the leaders in the governor's office weren't happy with the data. It wasn't compelling enough. There was an effort in Minnesota Mm. to try to blame parents of kids who went to extracurricular activities at night, potentially had exposure to one another, and then the next day carried the virus asymptomatically to their place of work, particularly nursing homes. It was the most far-fetched storyline that you could imagine. And this is the implication that we had political leaders that were not willing to be honest and forthright, but instead wanted to hide, cower, sweep it under the rug, and somehow find a way for them to have, if you will, political defense. I mean, we we could tell early on that the lockdowns didn't do what we were told they were doing. Locking in nursing home patients in facilities that are infested with active COVID-19 virus made no sense. Locking kids out of school was problematic on multiple counts. Allowing physicians and encouraging them to potentially overdiagnose COVID-19 was a lousy idea. What we did with the goalposts being moved mm-hmm. was problematic on multiple levels. The modeling was flawed. The masks uh, were overpromised. The epidemic of fear, mm-hmm. the expansion of government through executive powers, the tracing and the tracking of Americans against their will, the testing with cycle thresholds at 45, mm-hmm. which would have produced a yeah. positive test. Sometimes you could check the transmission fluid in your <laughs> engine and it would have been positive for COVID-19. And then you get to the immunization rollout. It sounded like some sort of carnival rollout where get a shot and get a lottery ticket. Get a shot, yeah. we'll give you a free drink. Get a shot, we'll give you this or that. And then we had natural immunity being dismissed and thrown under the bus like it wasn't a real mm-hmm. microbiologic um, understanding yeah. that had been present for for centuries. And then ultimately we saw the ultimate sacrifice being suffered by soldiers who were mm. literally kicked out of the military. Mm. We saw healthcare workers that were yeah. abused. These were the things that happened and ultimately science was sacrificed at the altar of panic mm. Mm. and the altar of political expediency. This is what happened. Doc, I know, I know, I'm, and that is, that is a, that last whole chunk you just shared there is what really 
people need to hear and think about and consider. I want people to I want people to get your book. It's called We've Been Played uh, by Dr. Scott Jensen. And uh, you know, just on the back says how big pharma, big tech, and big government are destroying the American healthcare system. I mean, you're getting a taste of it here today. The book is a uh, it's a it's an easy read, and I mean that in a good way. It reads very just. It's like, wow, it's almost like, wow, 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 wow. Every page and there's quotes and there's science and there's research, all this stuff. So you would love it. But doc, so we had to do a little bit of the bad news there. Will you, I know you're a man of faith. I know you're a man of hope. You kind of, you called yourself an optimist uh, at the beginning. So some people I think can hear this story and go, how do you have, go through all this craziness? And I know you're literally seeing patients as we speak. And how do you, what is your, why do you have hope? Can you give us just the last word here? on why you're still hopeful and you believe that we that there's a way forward. I am absolutely convinced that the questioning individual must come to the conclusion that we are created. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what your creator is to you, but my creator is the triune God and my Lord is Jesus. And when I think of what we've been given as a human race. We've been given the tools to be faithful, to have hope. And at the end of the day, the song that just rings in my head and it was played at church this last weekend was all is well with my soul. And I feel like even when things don't seem like all is well, all is well with my soul. We we are not asked to be the kings of the planet. We're asked to be kind, to reach out to one another, to live by the golden rule, to see others as God sees them. We're asked to treat others uh, with the same kind of love that God treats us with. And when you do that, I think we can walk away saying the world is flawed, the human race is flawed. I call it original sin. You can call it what you want. But the bottom line is all is well with my soul. And as much battering and harpooning as I've received, I'm incredibly at peace. And that's probably the thing I'm most grateful for, Dr. Van, is mm-hmm. that I just feel at peace. I don't feel rattled internally, and I'm not worried about tomorrow. Doc, I'm not going to put this mantle on you, but I think if your profession, meaning just the, the, the medical model, had more like you, we would be in a much better place. Minnesota's lucky to have you, your patients that you take care of, the Senate up there. Um, I pray nothing but just blessing and protection over you. I'm very thankful for you. Um, and just I'm so grateful that we were able to meet. But but you really are. You encourage me. You embolden me. And I know together, even though we are in practice dis- daily disciplines, me being holistic, but uh, it really is going to be all of us that stand for truth coming together and uh, for the greater good and for the people and patients. And so just thank you so much for your time. Get back to seeing your patients, my friend. Take care. God bless. And thank you so much for letting me be on your program. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic.